Hi, this is Dan Morrell, host of Skydeck. There's this Teddy Roosevelt quote about struggle that I came across recently that I really like. Roosevelt said, There's never yet been a man in our history who led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. Roosevelt said that in 1902, but it's a message that feels increasingly relevant. I think especially of Silicon Valley and its cultural acceptance of failure, which is so prevalent that there's even been conventions like FailCon based on the idea. But as much as you can gain from your struggles, it can still be hard to share those publicly. Nevertheless, we set up on Spangler Lawn at Spring Reunions and asked a few brave souls to recount some of their greatest challenges and tell us what they learned from those experiences. David Tetton, MBA 98. Uh, I founded a company and raised $2.25 million for it, and, uh, and then we shut it down. We certainly made a lot of mistakes for in building out the company, but my number one piece of advice for the HBS community is that HBS offers incredible optionality, and optionality declines with each year. So out of HBS, you can take almost any job, and then that very rapidly declines, and your career is subsequently path-dependent. So I certainly didn't appreciate how much it impacts the overall trajectory of your life if you have a failure earlier on. I am one of the few VCs who actively discourages people from becoming entrepreneurs, precisely because I know the risks. I think you should not do it precipitously. There's an aphorism in our industry that CEO is the new analyst, because a lot of young people want to be startup CEOs as opposed to taking traditional entry-level job. And I think that's a mistake. And there's a lot of experience that you gain by working for a reputable firm and getting training, mentoring that will lower your risk of failure later on. Everyone wants to be Bill Gates and, and Zuckerberg, but those are the outliers. That's not the norm. Mia Menz, class of 2003, Section G. Seven years ago, I discovered a company that I thought was amazing. Sodexo is a French company, global French company. I just fell in love with their mission and their values and their lens of the world and their role in it as a corporate citizen. And so I was very determined to work for them. There was a job that was posted actually on the HBS website and I called the headhunter and I said, I really want to interview for this job. Sodexo is a food service company principally. I was in financial services and the headhunter said, you've got zero experience. And I said, but I love this company and I think that my skills are transferable. Please let me talk to him. So he arranged the interview and I went and I of course, I didn't get it. I wanted it so terribly. And I remember so well, at the end of the interview, a couple days later, one of the women who interviewed me was an African-American woman. I'm an African-American woman. And she said, I wanted this job to be yours so badly. And you're obviously smart, you're well-spoken, but you lacked executive presence. And I sulked about it for a while. I internalized it. And when Sodexo called again, they invited me to come to Sao Paulo, Brazil to interview. And I fell in love again. And three months later, they called and invited me to come run sales in Latin America. I had never run sales. I needed to speak Spanish and Portuguese. I spoke neither language. But we packed up our bags. My husband quit his job. We sold our house. And we took our two children, who at the time, one and four, to Brazil. And I think about the risk they took and the risk I took to do that job. One is, I certainly think I made a better second impression. But I think that I revealed my authenticity and I revealed my vulnerability and they knew that I would not suffer in silence. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It changed who I was. It literally changed who I was. Learning to operating and leading in two languages that you did not understand. I was operating from a deficit at day one and it took me a good year to feel like I could actually contribute meaningfully but I became an introvert so I relied on other skills and I did leave that experience triumphant but it just gave me a heightened sense of sensitivity and awareness for being another. 
I was the only black, the only American, one of two women at the executive level, and certainly the only native English speaker. And I have carried those learnings with me into my new role. I'm CEO of, um, of Sodexo's U.S. business for one of their lines of activity. And so um, I think it has made me a, just a better, more effective, more compassionate leader. Archie Jones, class of 1998. Post-business school, for three years I worked at Parthenon Capital. Had a great start of a career there. Uh, it was a continuation of my private equity career from prior to school. Uh, and I got the idea that I would go out and find a company to buy and run. Moved to Atlanta with my young family and spent two years looking for the right company and spent every dollar I had and a few dollars that I didn't have. Um, while a wonderful experience searching for a company, it certainly was a financial hardship. I uh, spent a couple years working uh, actually in the social sector. I went back to some social sector roots that had gotten planted here at HBS and then actually got called up by one of my portfolio companies that I had led as a private equity investor and ran M&A and strategies. So that was my coming out of that. And what I found most interesting about the story is uh, I left Parthenon Capital to go buy one company and a few years later, I'm running M&A and strategy for a public company and did 17 acquisitions around the globe. So um, I think of it as kind of one of those best laid plan stories of sometimes it doesn't work out exactly the way you wanted it to. Uh, and it takes a circuitous route to get there. But uh, certainly has been a fantastic journey. Aisha Armstrong, class of 2003. I'm thinking back to 2009 very interesting time. And the company that I was working for was doing a reduction in force and was part of the group who had to decide how to reduce our workforce by 25%. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever been through a situation like that. Really hard kind of walking around with the knowledge of who was going to lose their positions. And after I got through that, I had a hard time pulling myself out of it and focusing on future growth of the organization and rallying the people who were left and really started to doubt whether or not I was cut out to be in business. So when we pulled up in the summer and realized that we had to do another reduction in force, uh, I went to our chief operating officer and asked if I could take a, a package. My kids at the time were one and three. Obviously, I was still just kind of psychologically marred by what I'd been through and needed some time to reflect on what were my priorities and did I want to stay in a for-profit environment and things like that. So thankfully, he said yes. But I didn't have a plan and thought that I would just try to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. And then I thought I would, you know, maybe do some consulting, but just kind of was like adrift for about two years after that. And then my previous boss reached out and was like, hey, do you want to come back? And how about we start something on a part-time basis? And that was great. And I went back and I was very happy. The question that I always ask myself is what would have happened if I had maybe like gone to see a counselor or had been honest with people about how I was feeling as opposed to just rushing to I just need to leave the organization because my career suffered and 
I think it kind of took me out of the running, at least in that organization, for being considered for a serious executive position. I don't like to think about woulda, coulda, shouldas. I think what I learned is that if I'm struggling, it's important to ask for help and uh, talk about it more rather than just running away, which is kind of what I did. Frank Lorenzo, class of 63. As uh, CEO of um, Continental Airlines and before that Texas International Airlines, we faced uh, airline deregulation, which was of course a very tough thing since we had been in a regulated business where we had a protected franchise and now we had new competition coming in in terms of with lower costs and freedom of entry and all those things. So the question was, how do you develop a strategy that um, is going to give you a fighting chance in this new environment. And that's where C. Rowling Christensen, who taught the competitive strategy course uh, here at business school, which, you know, I remembered very, very well about strategic competence and trying to figure out what we, you know, what kind of unique competence we might have, which were essentially the kinds of things that Christensen really pushed forward in those in those days and helped us develop a strategy which ultimately ended up with Texas International which was a company that got hit with the with the strategy because we had Southwest Airlines starting right on one side and we had the big guys uh, being able to come into our markets on the other side we were the ham and the sandwich and developed a strategy where we ended up actually acquiring one of our competitors, which was Continental Airlines, merging it, and that's, that was the current day Continental that we ended up with. Joyce Lee, class of 2013. So I think it's, as far as a professional setback goes, or at least at the time it felt like a professional setback, was um, how I kind of, how I navigated my career at my first company post-business school. So I joined Anheuser-Busch. Um, it was a marketing, it was a, a really cool marketing role in global innovation. And it was a really exciting role for me because it was an opportunity for me to uh, use business school to transition into a new industry um, as well as a new function. So the experiences in a lot of ways was really, was really great. But as far as a professional setback goes, I think um, at the time I was hoping it would be the launch pad to a very comprehensive marketing experience whereby I would get to make a bunch of rotations through marketing functions and become a really well-rounded strong marketer and, and work with some of the world's most iconic brands. Uh, the reality of what ended up happening was that I ended up getting deeper and deeper into my functions. So I started marketing innovation, but I got deeper and deeper into that space and working within innovation in a bunch of different capacities, both in the the global office as well as the U.S. own. So on one hand, you know, and kind of what you talk about externally to the world and on your resume and so on, amazing learning experience. And it's it's really helped us all my careers in so many ways um, that that I, I really appreciate. But on the other hand, at the t especially at the time, it really felt like a professional setback because that wasn't what I wanted. And I think the other the other component that felt frustrating about that was that it felt like a reflection of my inability to navigate my career right so if it, so sometimes you can you I think you really can chalk things up to you just bad timing bad circumstances whatever it is and, and give yourself a little bit more space but for me I think um, I struggled to navigate that more successfully and, and take more ownership over 
how to shape my career. And I, looking back, I think there was real opportunity to have done it and to done it better. So, the most immediate way I think it's shaped me is, is in terms of how I coach my team. Right, so I think about their career moves very comprehensively versus very um, myopically. And so instead of just taking the promotion because it was there in front of you, instead of just taking that move because your VP who you really admire told you to do it, let's take a step back, think about what you want more broadly. Let's think about realistically about what the options are in front of you. And unrealistically, what are you dreaming of? Understand the whole landscape. And if that, that next step still really makes sense, great. But don't, don't just rush into it because it's right there in front of you. My name is Sheyo Wodouni. Uh, MBA 1998, Section F. Well, I guess uh, 20 years now since HBS, uh, so there's probably been a few setbacks. <laughs> um, but probably the most uh, recent or challenging one was a setback of a fund that I was a partner in that actually uh, uh, lost a number of key partners and uh, hit uh, a key man risk issue where the fund was frozen. And we ended up uh, having the whole team have to disband and a few of us were left to kind of just uh, run down the fund and recover the four investments that were remaining that we hadn't exited. So that was a challenge because you <laughs> you felt uh, loyalty to, to reach the end at a time when there wasn't much of a future for the fund. So it was a difficult time and it required a lot of uh, thinking about, you know, is that what I had expected in my career at that stage? And was there any value in staying back to complete the task? Uh, which is done more out of loyalty and a sense of duty rather than necessarily the best uh, career progression plan. I think that uh, life has and, uh, and I think careers have challenges. There will always be setbacks. The question is how you approach it, what you take away from it. Um, I actually hone my exiting skills, uh, how to really negotiate good deals, uh, good tr exits out of you know somewhat uh, uh, challenging investments. Uh, completed the four exits, which people didn't think was doable in the time frame. So I think you take some 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 learnings away from you know learning some things about yourself that you can apply beyond uh, the setback and uh, and feeling like you did not let your investors down because when you went in and raised the funds you made a commitment so even if others have left you know still having that sense of duty to complete the task and I think that's is gonna build you from a standpoint of when they have reference checks on you and they ask about the kind of person you are those types of stories are important. Humberto Covillos class of 1998 uh, on the business level uh, I went to work for Enron the energy giant that uh, went bankrupt there, there's uh, many lessons, but uh, obviously you can. Uh, you always need to be focusing on uh, on uh, a real business, a real cash flow. You have a responsibility for families, shareholders, and all the stakeholders involved. And um, values are the most important when uh, when you're in any organization and making sure you're doing things right, not playing with accounting books and doing things uh, that hurt a lot of people at the end of the day. At a personal level, I lost two children. My wife was expecting triplets. Uh, happiness comes within, and uh, it doesn't matter what happens to you, the choices you make uh, is the ultimate, and uh, obviously happiness, again, is built uh, from our inner strength. So those are basically one at the business level, one at the personal level, and uh, 
we always uh, continue to strive. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck.